Hello and welcome to the In My Humble Opinion podcast from the Daily Nebraskans Opinion section. I'm your host, Nick, with our editor, Sydney Miller. And we uh, were joined today by uh, Brian Beach Crab. Yeah, so today we haven't been um, very active in this podcast for a while because we had some Wi-Fi difficulties over break. That was no one's fault except partially Brian's. <laughs> but it's my wife. We'll blame Spectrum. <laughs> yes, Spectrum. This is not sponsored by Spectrum at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot has happened since we went on break. And we're going to talk about the thing that was the least impactful first, um, the Super Bowl yesterday. Um, I think I, we're not the sports section, but my opinion about it is that it was not a good game. It was just not a good game. Um, And the one thing that I wanted to discuss a little bit is about the commercials, because, you know, I think there was a big deal about a couple years ago when they came out with that commercial about, like, immigrants um, and for, like, that one beer commercial, I don't remember which beer it was, but it was, like, something about immigrants. Yes. But, anyway, so I think this year's most political commercial goes to the Bruce Springsteen one. So I wanted to know what you guys thought about that one. Yeah, so uh, Bruce Springsteen, I guess, visited, if you did not see the commercial, um, the geographic center of the lower 48, which is in Lebanon, Kansas. Um, He traveled through Nebraska to get there, and a few of the shots um, for that commercial were taken in Nebraska. But overall, this was just a, you know, a a typical reuniting America advertisement. In fact, yes, reunite um, was really just kind of that theme, similar to what we saw with uh, Joe Biden's inauguration. But that's probably the most political message. And it really had nothing overtly political. Yes, there's some undertones and there were some complaints on Twitter, but I don't really know how you could even... (laughs) have a Super Bowl ad without any complaints on that. I'll let uh, Sydney kind of go into more what some of that backlash was. Yeah, I I don't know a ton about it because my eyes rolled into the back of my head when I started reading it, but it was mostly saying, like, he was pandering too much to the rural audience and, like, we're already giving rural people too much, like, leeway and we're, we, should, we shouldn't be catering to them. We should be thinking about the minorities who obviously can't be rural people there are no rural minorities at all apparently all minorities live in the city is the gist i was getting from them and just a general like sense of the left that the the left side of twitter that i saw just sort of disliking um really everything about rural america you know that's interesting i also saw some from the right being like Springsteen is this elitist left guy and now he's trying to like just because he puts on a cowboy hat doesn't mean that he actually represents us so I think a uh, a nice message to take out of this is if you try to be general and try to appeal to people every group of per like every group of person instead of being like ah he's talking about me will say ah he hates me and is talking about how terrible I am. 
because it seems like everyone disliked this. Yeah. Like Bruce Springsteen was really out here just trying to be like, guys, love each other. And they said, love? No. Every single person decided no. Yeah. Now, I also want to bring up something else, though. Do we, do we put too much emphasis on, you know, far left and far right Twitter? And That's a good point. Yes, I yes. Would, I think, yeah, we can all agree, <laughs> yes, because it seems like there's this, oh, man, everyone hated it, but I can tell you at least, you know, the, the few people I watched it with, and no one no one I knew had any big issues with it, and no one I know personally was mad about it, um, and I think that's really what the that message is going towards, is that, yeah, we're you're going to see the loudest people the most angry about it no one's written you're not going to see a tweet that's like wow bruce springsteen that was awesome i loved your ad that's not going to go viral <laughs> like people just be like okay dude uh all right um but that's probably the reaction you got a lot of and i just think that we really put so much emphasis on what right wing and left wing twitter are saying when it's like what what difference does that make they're going to make up i'd say maybe five percent if not less the, the people that really hated that ad yeah the true left-wing take is is it is a commercial produced by a billion dollar corporation so why should you care yeah that's that's basically what i felt with the commercial ended and i like faded and it was like jeep and my mom was like yes we bought a jeep and i was like what is okay <laughs> I, <laughs> she was like we won so i guess are you are you Team Buccaneers, Team Chiefs, or are you Team Jeep? Team you know, Jeep. that's the real question. Team Jeep won the Super Bowl, in fact. <laughs> Unless you were Team Jeep on Extreme Twitter. So, yeah, I think that's that's a good point, Brian. We can talk however much we want about the extremist views, but at the end of the day, it really all just comes down to my mom being happy that she bought a Jeep. So Good for her. Yeah. Um, Nick, what did you want to talk about today? Yeah, so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is, uh, she is a uh, freshman congresswoman from, uh, I believe, northwest Georgia, and she said some some pretty out there stuff, Uh, and uh, I'm just gonna, I wanted to read a couple quotes for you. Yeah, go for Um, it. Yeah. Also, uh, she was uh, just a few days ago removed from uh, uh, removed from her uh, committee assignments, so she can't vote in committee. She can just um, vote on the House floor. Interesting. Uh, so here's a quote: "There's never been any evidence of a plane hitting the Pentagon." In reference to nine eleven, and I, I and you know. I, I I went and looked it up because, you know, that's what you do. And while the uh, so the reason for this belief, broadly speaking, is that the fusel- uh, the front part of the fuselage of the plane disintegrated upon impact. So there isn't much plane there in the pictures of the uh, of the wreckage of the Pentagon. That being said, there are tons of pictures of, like, just scattered debris that are very obviously from a plane. Uh, so there's that. Um, so, yeah, she she thinks... I, I, I don't think it would be, you know, putting words in her mouth to say that she 
thinks or at least suspects that the Pentagon, the attack on the Pentagon during uh, during 9-11 was a false flag. That 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 seems to be what her position is, or at least was at the time that she recorded that video. Huh. Um, yeah. Uh, she also uh, she also said that uh, she said that um, the Las Vegas shooting from 2017 was a false flag and that she didn't believe that the guy who was working alone uh she didn't believe that he did it alone uh yeah so it wasn't real but it was part of a larger conspiracy um yeah by ostensibly by like liberals who want to take people's guns uh and that the reason a country music festival was targeted was to scare conservative people who you know, would get freaked out because mm. now they're being the targets of mass shooting and it's not just some, like, you know, children at a school. That's, that is great. I... Yeah. She's also uh, fed in, she's fed into some of the conspiracy theories around uh, the Sandy Hook shooting. Uh, and she believes in Q. The, the QAnon conspiracy. And so does uh, gonna... um, the... There's a congresswoman from Colorado who believes in it too, right? Yes, Lauren Boebert. Yes. Or, I believe she believes in Q. Uh, that being said, most of the discussion around Boebert I've seen has been about how she keeps trying to take a gun into the, into the you know, house chamber. I mean, I don't blame her. <laughs> She's... I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, like, AOC's, like, um, big thing on Instagram about how she was just, like, scared and felt really vulnerable during that, and I agree. I think it's really scary, and I, if you want to defend yourself, although I don't know, I don't know I if, mean, <laughs> if we need that. I, I, I have the, I have the, the position that, uh, a bunch of, uh, progressive congress people should start carrying guns just to make a point be like this isn't just a you thing you know we get the squad and we get them to like strap ak's yes yes just like aoc just walking into congress with like an ar-15 or something yes that'll that's how we own the conservatives yeah yeah no that that won't that won't you know raise the temperature at all that won't uh cause to cause you know needless strife yeah so what do you think is the like big picture takeaway from this congressperson just i mean being a conspiracy theorist i think that any holding any of these views is grounds for immediate expulsion from congress and i think that by not doing it um her views are given legitimacy mm-hmm. now the removing her from her committee assignments is a good first step but if it's not followed up with expulsion from congress it's really kind of hollow and doesn't really you know carry as much weight i don't know what do you guys that, think? i would maybe argue that it i mean 
let me, you know, play the devil's advocate here, <laughs> you know, like the person who sits in the back of the political science classroom. But I think it could be a slippery slope um, on grounds, you know, if we start ex- expelling people on the grounds of ideas, however factual or not they might be. Um, because, I mean, granted, her things are conspiracy theories, but they are theories. And when we get into the realm of the theoretical in the realm of, you know, most of the big ideas in political science aren't held together by a lot of factual glue. A lot of it is just like, hey, this is an idea of how things should work. So maybe we should do it this way. And I can see, you know, say the pendulum swings back right. And then, you know, members of Congress are suddenly getting expelled because they support socialism or something of that nature. I can see that being a slippery slope. What I would do instead is try to ding her on being being a, a, I don't know, a measure against safety. Um, Looking her up, she has liked and made comments about something about how the quickest way to take out Nancy Pelosi is like a bullet to the head oh my God. Um, and stuff like that. That's a threat I mean, of violence. That is something that you Against could, a coworker. Yeah, that's something yeah. that, in my opinion, would be a more legitimate ground to go off of. So I think that's kind of the way they should go about it, is to take, you know, there's a lot of insanity, but if we find the, the real and, like, motivated um, points behind that, I think... There could be grounds for expulsion that don't have to feed into ideas, which can then be kind of a slippery slope um, going forward into the future. And I do want to also clarify, or at least um, Representative Green said that she has stopped believing in QAnon. Uh, she's walked back her comments uh, about the Parkland shooting, and she said that school shootings are absolutely real. Um, I Again... Is this just something she's saying so that she can maybe hold on to her seats or her, um, her role on these committees, perhaps? But I do want to say that she currently, at least publicly, says she does not um, believe Q and some of these conspiracy theories that she had in the past. Yeah, so, yeah I, I, I should have stated that. Um, yeah. Yeah, these are things she has walked back. Mm. Yeah. And then does that kind of feed into the argument of these bigger, greater politicians that are, you know, we see pushing for this. And even like, you know, Senator Ted Cruz kind of got into a little bit of hot water for kind of pushing the Capitol riots a little bit. You know, are these massive, big politicians, do they believe in this stuff? Or are they doing it and pushing it because it's a popular idea it's a radical idea that get people really energized to go vote, to go donate, and then it gives them power. I mean, we have to treat them as if their words are serious and that and they mean them. Otherwise, the whole system kind of falls apart and we get into this existential crisis of, is anything real, right? And that's, that's not a good place to be. That's a good point, but at the same time, it, it is sort of... The whole thing where it's like someone's on the schoolyard and they're like, you smell and you tell your mom and she's like, well, just don't like, don't listen to him. It's like, you can't, 
you only give them power when you react to them. And I know that's a really simplified way of thinking about it, but I do think that there's something to be said for just not bringing so much attention and so much scrutiny onto these politicians. I know um, Adam, one of our other columnists who's not here today, is writing an article about how we need to stop sort of glamorizing and idolizing politicians because like they on their own can't do that much change, especially individual Congress people. Um, so I don't know, there's that. I mean, the the issue there is that the the corporate media, like the the like the twenty four hour news networks, are going to gravitate towards the wackiest and most outrageous uh, people in in our political discourse because you know that's it's exciting, it's entertaining, it's it's silly, it's terrifying, right? It it gets people to to you know view. And so I think that as a result, action needs to be taken. Otherwise, it's just letting the problem fester. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point about the media, which is actually what we were going to talk about for the second half of this podcast. Um, Emma, do you want to talk to us a little bit about how the Biden administration isn't getting very much coverage? Yeah. Um, it's something that I've noticed just kind of in the past couple of weeks going about my daily life, which usually involves, you know, politics of some sort, but it's a lot of Twitter politics. It's a lot of looking through and what falls in my lap is what I end up looking at and picking up and absorbing. Which you're not alone. And in. I've just, yeah, I've noticed that there just kind of seems to be a lull. And, you know, through the, the Trump administration, it was a lot of everyday something new was going on some tweet had come out some you know i I, just just something more often than not it was tweet related that's just kind of how that went down um but it was just a constant spewing a constant media obsession almost and we're like off the first couple weeks of the biden administration he's been there for a hot minute um and you'd think there would be a lot of stories coming in about what is Biden doing, what's going on in these first weeks, what has he done, what hasn't he done, what has he avoided, what is he doing. And I've seen a couple things. Um, some things have crossed my path about him signing um, some executive orders about him. Uh, for some reason, this article came up that he like went home this weekend and that was like a newsworthy thing, apparently. Um but not nearly to the degree of obsession. So I have some kind of major news organizations front pages pulled up and I'm going to read the article title from the the top of each page. So Fox News, Trump's impeachment lawyers took him out of context, Professor says. New York Times, Trump team offers a deeper look at his impeachment defense. CNN, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has launched a probe into the former president's phone calls. Washington Post, impeachment managers reject calls to dismiss case against Trump, and MSNBC, Georgia officials open investigation into Trump phone call. Wow. Yeah. So, this man is still kind of haunting our media. Um, And I know we've talked, I think we talked a little bit about, you know, is the media going to leave Trump alone? And it looks like 
our answer, at least for now, is no. Because yeah, um, there is still the impeachment trial. Yeah, going and I mean, on. there is relevant news to report on. But I just think it's interesting that, I mean, Biden, I think, signed uh, signed a lot mm-hmm. of executive orders into law. I think it was more than more than Trump did in his first week, more than Obama did. Going back, like, I think 20 or 30 years, he signed quite a bit more. And it's interesting to me that there are no articles telling us what that is. And that seems like important information for us as the American public to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm still mad about the dumb decision that the Democrats made to... They promised everybody $2,000 checks, and then just immediately they went to $1,400. Why? Why would, you, why would you do that? I mean, if you want to only do fourteen k or uh, $1,400, you know, maybe just say we're starting with 2000 and then, like, negotiate down to 1400 right? Why would you do... And, like, the rest of the bill is very good. The rest of the economic relief, there's a lot there. But they they distract from, you know, all of the good by shooting themselves in the foot. And I don't understand why. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I honestly haven't seen that many in-depth articles about it. Um, partially that's because I... I'm not, like, eligible for the stimulus, so I have a little less interest in it than I probably should. Um, but I... Actually, um, uh, dependents, I believe, are. I, I've looked in, I have some weird tax stuff going on, don't worry about it. Gotcha, Um, um, but, yeah, a lot of the, um, just a lot of the, what do you guys think about pushing through this second impeachment trial and trying to make sure that Trump can't run for office again? Um, I think it's gotta happen. Uh, I don't think that, like, the state has any legitimacy if there isn't, like, recompense for, you know, an assault on, like, the democratic process. Like, there needs to be some consequence. Otherwise, what's the point in having a government? What's the point in obeying any laws if the, if the person at the very top of our sort of social pyramid faces no consequences for one of the gravest crimes? What, what's the point of it? What's, what's the point of anything? Very nihilistic to do. Or, yeah, the investigation. Because without that, then you, you green light and say, hey, well, if you get to your lame duck period, you know, your last couple months, hey, just do whatever, man. It's just all do all of the crimes. And- <laughs> it's fine. There's no, there's no consequences. It's fine. Yeah, so do Now, you- at the same time, I think that would be a stupid priority for the Democrats to, to really focus on, though. I do think it is a little strange. And the media is partly to blame, in a sense, that here we are um, not even a month into Biden's presidency and we're still, we're still on Trump. We're still in this past, you know, looking back. And if the goal is kind of to say, hey, we're moving on, we're moving past the Trump era, this is, we, we want him to, in certain cases, never run again, 
I think that just the, the ignoring this person, you know, would be the best way to go about that. Uh, and I think that could go a long way if the Republicans and Democrats were on that side. But by continuing the debate about Trump, you now also are forcing, I think, a lot of Republicans who may not actually be as adamant supporters of Trump as we saw even in 2016 during the primary that, you know, Lindsey Graham saying that it would be like getting shot or getting poisoned between Trump and Cruz. I mean, there are just so many people that had come out against Donald Trump. Now that he's become the political figure that he is, they wrote in line because if they criticize the president, that's a very dangerous thing to do politically as a Republican. But if you let Trump fade into the darkness, you know, okay, there he goes. Uh, we still need to hold him accountable. But to make that kind of your platform, if you let, if you just ignore him, I think that's also going to allow a lot of Republicans that may not have been fans of Trump at all, but to be able to govern in a honestly a more honest way than than they had been without that fear of getting primaried or being critical of Trump. I mean, Ben Sass is getting censured <laughs> by a lot of the state GOP for what he said. Liz Cheney in Wyoming. The list goes on and on. It is dangerous for a Republican to go against Trump. Brian, I was just about to say that. Like, you literally took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Can we talk about that for a second, too? That, you know, now we are seeing the, I believe it, what was it, like the state legislature or something censured? Ben Sass or something like that? Or was was it the the Nebraska state GOP? Yeah, yep, that was it. That was what, yep, that's the word I was going for. Yeah, but that's that's just it, it's so bizarre, and to see that happening, I I don't I don't know. Do you guys think we'll see more of that? Um. Yes, I think that um, there are a lot of people, particularly the uh, particularly like the sort of more political establishment of the Republican Party who wants things, like they want things to go back to the way they were before Trump. They want to go back to the sort of like uh, neoconservative establishment where, you know, all of the, all like all, like the voter base just, you know, votes for them because, you know, you know, they're not the Democrats. But I don't. I don't think. I think the. I think the Republican Party is the is the party of Trump, um, and I think that some people have realized that, and others others have not. Um, Do you think their future for Republicans who don't support Trump? in the democratic party even um i think they'll try to go over to the democrats that being said uh i think that as time goes on the democratic party is going to become a less and less welcoming place towards like you know like conservative ideas because it's moving further to the left generally speaking or at least the democratic base is not necessarily the like party establishment. Maybe we can bring back the Whig party. Ooh, I'm ex- I, I'm down. I'm down for the Whig party. 
what we need what we need is a is is a system that helps facilitate um like a system where there are more than where there are more than two parties right yeah because the the two-party system is very clearly a bad idea i don't i've never met anybody who's like you know what i like that i only have two options <laughs> This is supposed to be America, the land of opportunity and the land of choice. And we and have, have two choices. You have, you have, yes. You get we to have, choose. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Like, why is it a binary? Political thought is not a binary. We should just, just um, get rid of all binaries, I think. Yes. But, yeah, so do you think that any of this, um, I know, Brian, you wanted to talk about how trust in the media has actually gone down even since Trump has lost office. Um, do you think that um, the way that they're covering Trump has influenced that or anything, um, you know, having to do with all these uh, Republican um, leadership members sort of censuring anyone who's daring to go against Trump even now that he's out of office? No, I, I don't necessarily think that it all has to do with Trump or Biden or the election. I think for me, at least, I lost a fair amount of trust in the media's handling of the coronavirus crisis. And that, that doesn't mean I'm going to go and say there's fake news or and really, I think that a lot of journalists really do publish truth. But what I what I think is the main issue in the media right now is the, the selection of stories that are used. It's not that the stories themselves are necessarily inherently biased, but we all, I'm sure, understand the trope of the, the Fox News showing an illegal immigrant that killed mm-hmm. um, a young girl in some school. You know, oh, okay, well, this is why immigration is bad. Now, that story in itself may not be told in a biased fashion. I mean, these things happen. They're, every part of that could be true. At the same time, you can create a narrative by your selection of stories. The same thing obviously happens on the left as well, and I, CNN, MSNBC are guilty of this, and yet, at the same time, they often will really be proud of, oh, we stand for truth, we stand for you know facts, and it's, yes, you have truth, you have facts, and they everything might be accurate and check out, but it's what you cover. And so this goes back to, as Emma mentioned, the media is still on Trump and that's on all sides right now. He's the most entertaining. It's the most interesting. It's how they're making their ad revenue because it's how they get eyeballs on the screen. Yes. It's far more important probably for Americans to know about these executive orders, but they can maybe be a little wordy, a little bit more into the policy weeds. I mean, there's a reason C-SPAN has nowhere near the viewership of CNN and Fox. I mean, C- yeah, C-SPAN is where I guess you're going to go if you want to watch that kind of thing. If you're Brian. So, yes. Um, so that's the kind of thing that I think really is, is harming the media. I think coronavirus coverage was really something that hurt the media because I think there will definitely be some bias in that, but I can't all that much because it was such a new thing the issue was it was reported on with such certainty in a lot of cases at least for me i think that was something that i have been particularly frustrated with the way that the virus has been covered but anyway i just kind of the thing i'm talking about there was a recent axis 
um, or Axios, excuse me, uh, article that showed this chart with the percentage of Americans who trust traditional media um, from 2012 through 2021. And in 2020, this number was over 55%. In fact, it had been above 50% throughout all from 2012 to 2021 and then dropped to 46% in 2021. Now, again, that's not a huge drop. Uh, if you saw the chart, it looks like a huge drop, but that's due to the, the scale they chose mm -hmm. here. Uh, but I guess what I really am getting at is the media, I think, thought, oh, we're being attacked. People don't trust us. Oh, well, it's because of Trump. Trump said fake news. And then at the same time, you know, even on the, the right, oh, Trump is just such a polarizing figure. That's why they don't trust us. Well, turns out the media has a much bigger problem on their hands than I think they realized. And that is something that should be of grave concern to anyone running these organizations at the moment. I mean, I, th I, th I think a lot of it has to do with that they, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, they're corporations, right? Their job is to make money, not necessarily to do the news. I mean, doing the news is how they make money, but their primary focus is on making the money, right? So I think that, you know, people have in the last 20 or so years begun to sort of realize, oh, their job is to make money and not, you know, give us the facts. And so people have become skeptical of the motives of these large uh, corporate news in, uh, institutions. Uh, I, yeah. I also think that some of it lies in, you know, with the age of the internet, we're a lot more connected um, across the nation as opposed to just in our little states or our little communities and our little towns. It's just kind of how the modern world has evolved. We've gone from, you know, people who will live their whole lives in the same town to that being an, an absolute rarity nowadays. And I think we can see that in the news trends as well, where people are gravitating towards these more larger national corporate sources as opposed to local newspapers everywhere are closing. There are huge news deserts forming where people have a lack of local news. And local news is, is by and large more trustworthy to a larger group of people than these national news organizations. That's just that's just how it's going to work. You're going to trust the guy who lives, you know, three streets down from you, who you like babysit for him on the weekends, you know, like you're going to trust that guy. And just, I think part of it is just indicative of, of how our world has become much more of a, a global, um, a global sphere than just you and your town or your city or your community um and i think we can see that represented in our media trends yeah and i think that goes back to what we were sort of saying about that springsteen commercial which is just like if you try to appeal to everyone you're just gonna be kind of hated by everyone or just like they'll tolerate you um, but with local news, I think the really important aspect of that is the localization where they take national news and they put it into how is this relevant for you, maybe someone who lives in Garden County, Nebraska. Um, and I think that that can be a really important factor, especially when um, when you look at it from a local point of view. If, 
if you're getting both sides, you know how news organizations tend to have to like, okay, we have to have our conservative pundit, we have to let Rick Santorum talk for a little bit, and then we'll let like AOC talk. But I feel like if that's a more localized process, I know Brian, you've talked a lot about how politics are less polarized in local regions, and there's a lot more, it's easier to work together, right? Is generally the yeah, consensus? I mean, there's a lot more, I mean, even if you look at how states vote for national offices versus state offices. You're far more likely to have a governor that doesn't match your state's party. I'm from Kansas. We have a Democrat governor. Uh, you're from Maryland, Sydney, and you have a, a Republican governor. Yep. But there's very little chance, even um, with some great candidates, in my opinion, at least in Kansas, that you would see a Democrat senator or a Republican senator come from Maryland. Yeah, so I think taking that and then with what Emma was saying about how you just trust people who are more local to you, I think that when you take things on a smaller scale, it can take away some of that extremism, and maybe people would be more inclined to trust their news sources if they were more local. Now, before we totally move on, I did want to say one other part about this Axios article that sort of puts a little wrinkle in this idea that we trust people that are local and not always trying to make money, oh. is that CEOs are at the top or near the top of Edelman's list of trusted institutions. 61% of Trump voters say they entrust, they trust their employer CEO. Meanwhile, 28% of them trust government leaders and 21% trust journalists. So I think that's another interesting... Are we talking about the MyPillow guy? Because I swear... <laughs> I, I don't necessarily know if that has any indication. It was people that said they trust their employers. Their CEO. employers. So, yeah. Okay, okay, I would okay. A very small fraction work for my pillow, but yeah, just in general, CEOs have higher trust and overall higher trust than journalists. Interesting. Um, and CEOs are, you know, I guess maybe it's because they're unabashedly saying, hey, we're here to make money. And you know that, the start. And sometimes I think journalists you know, have this veneer of we're for truth and facts, also money, but we're for truth and facts. I mean, I think individual journalists generally for truth and facts, that being said, they work for corporations and they work for CEOs. Which is yeah, interesting. What about the, yeah, you'd what think about the that... CEOs of journalists, like companies? <laughs> yeah, Jeff Bezos. Do we trust Jeff Bezos? He owns the Washington Post. God, no. I mean, he hasn't ended world hunger. How dare he? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has the money. He could do it. He does. He does have the money. I think I think that's really interesting, Brian, um, that people would trust their employers more than they trust government officials. Why you would trust the boss, I don't know. Yeah. But at, at the same time, it is their employer's CEO, which is a little different than saying CEOs in general. Mm -hmm. And so that could be a little bit of, hey, I've worked for this company. I do what I enjoy. So if I'm working in the coal industry, I trust the coal CEO to make sure that my coal job is still there. If I work in the green energy industry, same thing. I trust my CEO to advocate, to be, have the seat at the table in Washington and say, hey, we need to expand our production and create policies that are going to make sure that my company expands and my job is secure. So that's really the, that's the explanation I would give. Um, for that, but again, I don't have any any peer-reviewed studies to back <laughs> up that claim. That's okay. Well, I think that also does kind of fit into the whole neighborly thing, too, because, I mean, a lot of workplaces really try to make 
their you know, occupation feel like a community because nobody wants to be at a job where every day there's like an overlord sitting on top of his chair being like, you were making me money. <laughs> so I think that, you know, we can kind of take our little journalism model of like the newspaper guy that you know really well because I don't know, like you went to high school with this kid or something. And like you can kind of transfer that over to a business model where you are going to trust your CEO if he's the guy who, you know, you get like a weird generic postcard from his family every year or something like still fitting in that sense of like a community almost where, you know, you trust that CEO because, you know, it's the CEO for your company that you have common interests or it's something that you enjoy doing. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't really trust anyone, but that's just me. You should do a, an opinion poll with uh, the UNL's campus and see what the Daily Nebraskan <laughs> approval rating is. I think that could be. That would be. That a would lot be of don't care. Yeah, they yeah, have. There have like, to be like a don't care option. option. What? what? What's the Daily Nebraskan? <laughs> we wow. have literally everyone. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a opinion columnist for the DN. They're like, the what? I'm like, oh sorry, the Daily Nebraskan. And they're like, what? The so one. um, the paper, the student newspaper. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I think basically our main takeaways from this can be that we shouldn't just listen to extremists, but we probably should listen to the media, except when they're national media. We should just listen to our local weatherman for all things. Yep. It's me, John <laughs> Newsman, here to give you the news. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Anyone else have any important points they want to make before we sign off? Nope. Cool. Well, everyone who's listening, which doesn't include my dad anymore because he lost interest, I hope you have a great rest of your week and <laughs> stay safe. Oof. Okay. Have a good one, guys.